Hey everyone, welcome back to LA Not So Confidential. This is Dr. Shiloh and I'm reporting from my closet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> here, here not with me, but with me is... Dr. Scott, hey. I am surrounded by pillows in a makeshift studio since we don't have our usual recording area. Um, and yeah, I, what were you saying earlier? We were trying this, we were trying the app out and you were saying that there's probably going to be a lot of podcasts this week. That just sound unusual, not like their normal location for sure. Right. Nope. So it's been a few weeks since our last recording um, and things have really ramped up with COVID-19. Um, Scott and I are continuing continuing to work. So our lives don't feel as different as a lot of people's out there, I'm sure. But I know that's keeping me sane a little bit, being able to go to work. Oh, I, I could not agree more. Oh my gosh. Um, in fact, I, I, you know, I get more of a sense of normalcy, uh, being there in the office and, you know, it's, um, it's really rough on people. I mean, this is, this is a huge, this is a huge phenomenon happening right now. And we, you know, we hope everybody's okay. And, um, we may try and get back to you even in a couple of days with a little bit more, um, on how to take care of yourself if we can. Yeah. um, I, I actually thought like, do you have just maybe a tip, maybe we could each offer like a tip at the top of the show about, you know, how people can take care of themselves or lower their anxiety a little bit or stay connected. Absolutely. You know what, without going too, too deep into it, um, there's a great, a really, really great list of self-care routines that was posted by a psychologist recently. And I'm going to post the whole uh, link to it on our show notes and uh, on the website. But look, it's a list of uh, a number of things that are all very helpful, but the number I was so, it was so well written and I was really happy to see that the number one thing, which I completely agree with is continuing your sense of normalcy by having a routine. You guys, everybody listening, all y'all out there, you have to have a routine within your quarantine and within your you know, um, you're safe you're staying home. Yeah. You've just got to. And, you know, that may be hard for some people. Some people may have more of a challenge um, by being, you know, more athletically inclined or more action oriented and extroverted. So whether you fall on that spectrum or someplace else, you've got to keep a routine. And I mean, just don't stay in your sweats all day. Get up, shower put on clothes as if you're going to work or you're going out to meet someone and, you know, schedule your day, break it up in 45 minute segments. And that will help you. That will really, really help your emotional health. What do you think, Shiloh? Yeah, I I think that's great. I would also say um, the same when you're dealing with kids, you know, it's last week was hard. I telecommuted one day and I had to do my work, but I also had to make sure my kid was getting her work done. And it was bananas. I was like, send me back to my office. <laughs> Let yes. someone else do this. It was it was really hard. Um, so I know people are struggling with structure and a schedule with their kids, which it probably sounds so crazy to people without kids. Like, how could you not have that? But when you're living it and it's just you're thrown into it and you're forced to do it and it's different. Um, and you're trying to essentially keep 
So I think the struggle for me is I have an only child. So it's sort of like keeping her entertained and making sure she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. People with multiple kids have their challenges. I have I have a client I was talking to last week who has four kids. So they got like four workstations in the house. They're all in different grades. And I can't even imagine what that's like trying to get keep them on top of their homework, letting them have breaks, all of that. So it's, you know, I think same thing for yourself, for your kids, but also do it within reason and do absolutely do what works for your family and what's realistic. Don't try to shoot to some crazy high expectation because we don't need any more pressure on ourselves. This is not the time to be championing from for mother of the year, you know? Like, yeah. No, I agree. Do the best you can and try to implement some of these things, you know, the self-care stuff, the exercise, um, you know, taking care of your mindfulness and just being present and maybe trying to help others. Just little chunks. Um, You know, the way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So um, we will all get through this. It's it's a mindset plus some planning involved. And then we'll come out on this other side. Okay. That's, yeah, I I agree. Um, And we'll we'll post some more tips, but less pressure is better. So, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to think that you're going to be parent of the year or grandparent of the year by following this strict... um, homeschooling routine to hit all the the points. I just don't think that's realistic, especially because this is such a jarring adjustment that our entire society is being asked to, to make. So go right. easy on yourself. Please go easy on yourself. And let's all try and be kind. You know, I love that. Kind. At the end of the day, that's it. If that's if that's all you can manage that day. Cool. Go yeah. Ahead. But let me sell let me tell you, I think there's going to be a newfound respect and admiration for what educators do in this country. And that's been a long time coming. I think we've been slipping away for 30 years now away from really respecting our educators. Um, I mean, I I agree. And I have a complete bias. My mom was an elementary school teacher for 35 years. Both of my sisters uh, have been elementary school teachers. I mean, I, I have nothing but admiration for what they do. And, and I think the rest of the country should as well. Yeah, I saw a meme today that said a bunch of you parents out there are starting to figure out it's not your teacher that's the problem. Exactly. <laughs> your kid's teacher. Exactly. <laughs> so um, have you been watching anything interesting while you've been spending more time at home? Uh, you know, what did I, I the only, I'm, the, what, you know, the big phenomenon right now is the Tiger King. And I haven't, I have not watched it yet because it just like. It looks so crazy. I'm just like, do I really want this? Um, but I'll probably yeah. die. I'll probably die. I'm about, I'm about halfway through. It is my new name for you because for our listeners, Dr. Scott loves tigers. I do. I absolutely <laughs> do. I was born in Year of the Tiger. so He's I... born Year of the Tiger. He loves tigers. He's more of a tigger than a tiger king. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is crazy. Um, I'm taking it in small doses. I actually started off not watching any true crime stuff when all of this, you know, pandemic came down because I really didn't want to overwhelm myself at the first onset. So I caught up on Shit's Creek and um, now I'm I'm diving back into the crazy a little bit, but yeah. it's, it's pretty nuts. That's yeah. Sure. I, well, that's interesting. That kind of loops around a little bit back to what we opened with is about, I think that 
right now, everyone's um, diet on a number of levels should be careful. Like, um, I need to be careful with carbs. And on the upside, I found out I can make really good biscuits, almost as good as my mom's. The downside is, oh, shit, I can make biscuits. I can make really good biscuits. Yeah. yeah. And I, God knows we don't need uh, that many carbs in um, in captivity. But the other thing is about, you know, t- thinking about your diet, you need to think about your emotional diet and what, what you're taking in. And, um, you know, those of us that are fascinated by the realm of true crime, you know, it's an interesting diet. And I think that we all have like an amazing level of resiliency and interest and fascination with this topic that in the day-to-day normal running of the world, that's okay. We process it, but maybe if you're isolated and you know, you're, you're, you don't have a lot of socialization during this quarantine period, maybe you need to like kind of uh, mix it up a little bit with some lighthearted comedies or nature documentaries or something. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, for sure. And that, you know, we actually had all of April planned out pretty well. Oh my gosh. Went down the tubes because, um, so at the end of the month, we were going to do our big Disney crime episode leading up to crime con. And now that's been postponed to October. So we want to save that and still do that right before crime con happens. Um, but we were also going to bring you something different at the beginning of this month. And we just thought with the climate, we wanted to keep it a little light for today. Um, so yeah, that kind of moving into, to our topic, <laughs> how did we, how did you even, cause I know you sent me an article and you were like, <laughs> we need to do this. <laughs> and we're like, let's do something light and funny. Um, but also just as interesting. So. Yeah. And once again, it turns into being a subject that is like just bananas and, and goes a lot deeper than I expected. So basically we're talking about mystery poopers and yes. that is the unbelievable number of sort of, of bordering on illegal and bordering on emotionally driven uses of fecal elimination as revenge, as weapon, in anger, in retaliation. And we've got some just kind of fascinating stuff to talk about today. Yeah. And we're we're not talking about the one-offs or people with medical issues. You know, we're going to try and stay away from that. But you have to ask why when you see some of these and some of them that are a mystery that the person wasn't found or caught. You, we don't know why. And it, it just like any other crime, we always want to know, like, what is with someone who's right. doing whatever behavior? Um, we're not going to go for a gross out factor in this. We're going to try and stay on track and um, be as, as clinical as possible. But some of it is is pretty hilarious. Yeah. And, and some of it is a little bit uh, unavoidable. There's a couple of that are just jarringly, jarringly. Um, uh, Disturbing. Disturbing. Yeah. Like, like I couldn't even find the word. But <laughs> yeah. since you started out with that, one of the things I would want to say is that um, uh, we're going to be talking about some of these cases of people who have actually been um, taken into the legal system and charged with various crimes due to their defecating in public chronically and regularly. Okay. So we're not talking about, like Charlotte was saying, we're not talking about the one-offs, but you know, there are medical conditions that have been used in attempts at providing a defense for these individuals. And, um, 
those those defenses did not work very well because the the people ended up of, of course not meeting the criteria for those medical uh conditions and those medical conditions are really serious i mean as much as people want to sometimes make ibs which is also known as irritable bowel syndrome into a joke it's not a joke for people who have it it is incredibly life-altering because everything revolves around okay can i go on this vacation and go hiking because I've got to be able to go to the bathroom when I got to go to the bathroom. And then So it is as serious as it shows in the commercials. It is. I mean it is. And people like I think that people and I've had classmates with it. I mean and there's also another version that's even more serious which is called Crohn's disease and Crohn's is brutal and it's an autoimmune disorder um but it probably has a genetic factor and there's a lot of conflicting information about it and it is unbelievably debilitating. And I've had two colleagues that have had it and, you know, their lives revolve, completely revolve around, you know, these medical conditions. So we're not making any sort of intimation in the examples that we're going to give because these do not fit the criteria of those, those medical conditions. They were attempted a couple of times to be used as defense in legal proceedings, but that's not what's going on here. Yeah. For anybody who out there who's a listener who may have uh, gastric issues such as we're talking about, like I I am I feel for you because two of my closest colleagues and a classmate um, struggled with this for years. And, you know, it was it's just jaw dropping when you realize like that someone who presents as, as not having any issues and has a smile on their face and you realize they've been carrying this burden for years. It's it's Aww. amazing. Yeah. 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 To have your day every day, like you said, revolve around that and the worry that comes with it, I'm sure. Well, that and anxiety plays a huge sure. role in IBS and in Crohn's. So, yeah, worrying about whether or not you're going to be able to um, stay continent. So, mm-hmm. but that being said, we're that be being up. said, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, most cities have ordinances against public urination or defecation. I'm sure all of us have urinated in public when we've really had to go or we were intoxicated or something. Um, this is not the, the, we've found instances that fall outside of those realms of what someone from the general population may have um, participated in at some point. So I'm going to start off with the jogging pooper from Colorado. So I think think this was actually the article that you sent me initially. And you were like, whoa, what is this? We need to do an episode. What is happening here? Um, so this is in June of 2017 um, in Colorado. And this woman ended up being dubbed the mad pooper. So she is a jogger who jogs in this neighborhood and essentially was caught defecating in the yard of a family residence. And some children saw her. And so the female homeowner comes out and confronts her. And she was astounded. She was like, are you serious? Are you really taking a poop right here in front of my kids? And the woman was like, yeah, sorry. And gets up and jogs off. And I mean, she's in her full jogging gear. Like she is out for a run. And so the the homeowner was like, okay, like she's got to be terribly embarrassed. I'm sure she will like never be seen in this neighborhood again. And she'll come back and clean up what she just did. Or yeah. That's, that's what the assumption was. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
But no, she did not come back to clean up. And they caught her two other times. But a total of seven times, they found human excrement right there in the yard. And they were able to catch her on camera. So there's images of her in her jogging gear. And the poor homeowner, I mean, she even put up a sign to the woman who keeps pooping in our yard, please stop. My children are here. They're able to see you out the window. Um, it was just really odd. And they actually never found out who she was, even with the the video or the the still images being put up on the internet, the police getting involved. Um, so it was kind of this big mystery. And then a man ended up lo- uploading a YouTube video acting as a spokesperson for this woman saying that she apologized for her behavior, that she suffers from a traumatic brain injury that causes her to lose her bowels, which I've never heard of a TBI doing that. Um, and then all of a sudden there was another video that he uploaded saying that he really didn't represent her, that it was all just a spoof that he had put together. So, so this one actually remains a mystery. They do not know who she is. Yeah. That's, which is really fascinating because she, those images are actually pretty clear. Um, They're good. The, yeah. The, the pictures. And, um, you know, um, it's interesting because she's the mad pooper. She has her own Wikipedia page that has a lot of information. Um, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is that there were people that were trying to use the IBS and Crohn's, uh, defense, which Mm -hmm. really, you know, you can tell by working, looking at this woman's physicality that she is either a legit long distance runner because she's very, very slender and very cut. Yeah. She has a runner's body. She has a runner's body. Um, and you know, there is, I mean, there's, there's literature out there about long distance runners who are like, look, you know, I've, you know, in order to do this sport, I have to feed myself and I have to have, um, fuel in my system. And then I go for a very long run that is going to speed up the peristalsis, which is the, the movement of the fecal matter through the system. And I may have to use the bathroom. Now, in this case with the mad pooper, there, it was noted by the police that there were several public restrooms in that area, like because it was around right. a park area. So this woman, like we we're talking about, because this is the intersection of the legal system and psychology, is she she was doing this for a reason. Like it was there was a motivation, either a motivation or a lack of insight or a lack of caring at all. It's like I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to do it right here. Or that, you know, and there's a lot in the sort of this scatological psychology study, and there is some study in this area that, you know, some researchers go, it's a way of sort of throwing the finger up at the world and saying, you know, I'm standing in shit, you have to stand in shit too. It's a way of getting back. Yeah, I I think there was even, um, the homeowner said that she had brought her own, own napkins with her. So like... So either she knew she was going to have to go, like you were talking about, but there is something to, if you're a long distance runner and you have possibly either IBS or you know you're going to have to go at some point, then you plan your route accordingly. Right. 
And however long it takes you to drop your pants in front of someone's yard, you can drop your pants in a restroom, a public restroom at a park, and it's not going to cut into your run. So yeah, there's definitely something else going on here. Um, it, the brazenness, you know, to know that in this day and age, people are going to have their cameras out is, and there's, or there's going to be surveillance videos with another one I'm going to talk about. It's just, it's kind of crazy to me that, um, she has the audacity to do this and it's really interesting to sort of speculate why she might be doing it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I know that the, the mom in the, the residence there was particularly concerned because the woman was so brazen about it. And there's, you know, there's been, um, conjecture that it may also sort of bleed over into a sense of exhibitionism. Yes. You know, I was thinking that because too. she was, you know, the, the children did see her fully, you know, fully nude from the waist down as she was eliminating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's exposure. And especially yep. given the fact that there were these other uh, receptacles and other com- um, toilets in the area that she could have used. So yeah, something definitely is going on there. I'm just still astounded that she was never identified. Like that's astounding to me. Same. I kept waiting. I'm like, I, am I missing something? Am I not finding the article where they identified her? Because I was like, my research doesn't feel complete here, but um, yeah, I guess she got away with it. Uh, okay. But she stopped eventually. So yeah. Or she, like, I wonder if she moved, you know, I wonder if she went to a different location or, or, you know, literally just like moved to a completely different community. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Cause even if she hunkered down or her family didn't, bring forth, you know, her identity, you would think that someone would recognize her in that town, but I don't know. Maybe she was just passing through. Could be. (laughs) Um, Okay. So this one, there's not a ton of information about this case out of New Jersey in from May of 2018, but this one's interesting just because of the location and the guy's profession. So at Holmdale High School near the track and f- track where the, all the track and field sports take place, um, coaches ended up alerting police because they were finding that on a regular basis, there was human feces found near the track every single day. And, you know, you think, okay, is this a rival high school? Is this some sort of school prank? Is it a student? Like, what? is going on here. Um, And the cops take it seriously enough that they end up setting up surveillance, which I think is just sort of hilarious to think about. Like, if that had been my job when I was a cop, like, hey, can you go sit out on this field at five in the morning to see if someone's pooping? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, uh, okay, yeah, sure. But um, sure enough, I mean, the cops are out there and they caught a man in the act of um, pooping near the track and they confront him and arrest him. And it turns out he is a school superintendent. So uh, the superintendent is like the principal of all the school district um, in, in different areas. So he is like the head honcho guy, um, who lived about three miles away and he would go there to run on the track. Um, and so they ended up charging him. They charged him with lewdness. They charged him with littering 
and defecating in public. And, you know, it's like, here's a guy that's so closely linked to the school system and doing this every day. I don't know. I There's very little information. So, of course, my mind just kind of goes wild with speculation. But I thought, this guy is not happy in his job. There's something that's, like you said, a big, like, F you to make a statement here. Yeah. I know we're going to talk about the whys a little bit later. Um, but I don't know. Did he have a beef with someone at this particular school? I just, I need to know more. Yeah, it's, there's a, a an amazing lack of information about the precipitating event that is disturbing. And I think that probably because he was able to reverse, he was able to reverse uh, course later when it went to trial because the officers, so there was, there's a couple of things that happened. First, he's a, he is a, uh, 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 not a principal, he's a uh, superintendent, but he's a superintendent from another district. So he yes. wasn't even pooping on within his district. He was like, oh, I'm, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to go do it someplace else, which I think is very interesting from a sort of a criminogenic standpoint. Uh-huh. Of, I'm going to go soil someplace, but I'm not going to, you know, it's like the old saying, um, you know, don't shit, don't shit where you eat. Right. So it's interesting that like a lot of his elimination was done under the bleachers. So, you know, you can kind of conjecture about that. Like, was it because he was trying to hide it or was he trying to hide it, but where people would smell it, you know, because human, human feces actually is, is quite odorous compared to, and, and more foul odorous than a lot of, uh, farm animals. Um, yeah, which is very interesting, um, just because of the the nature of our diets. But uh, you know, they turned all this around because he they charged him, but there was controversy about his mugshot because he wasn't actually arrested; he was just cited. So they took a mugshot, but then they didn't follow through with the arrest, and someone leaked his mugshot to the media. So now he has a huge lawsuit against um, against that uh, arresting entity. And so he's claiming he did a federal lawsuit on September 9th, um, claiming negligent and intentional infliction of emotional distress, defamation, negligent hiring, training and supervision. And that, you know, he wanted to to also uh, duplicate these charges in state court as well as federal, and it got thrown out by a federal judge. Wow. So, yeah, there's something going on. Like, like that's, that's another one, like, where we talk about impulsivity. I mean, this guy was making $150,000 a year. Yep. So the idea that you would, like, take such a risk is really kind of astounding. And I kind of almost draw a parallel between, like, law enforcement and the use of alcohol. Like, if you're a cop, you don't drink and drive. You just, you, like, you know that it's career-ending, especially out here in California. I mean, it is, it'll, it'll ruin your career completely. And, you know, if you, so the idea that this, this sort of upstanding school superintendent would do something that's so sort of almost, um, like a toddler. It's just so taboo. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, 
But you know, the one thing that sort of gets me to give him the benefit of the doubt is he's going for a run at, you know, five every morning. It's the school closest to his house. Well, actually, I don't know if it's the closest to his house, you know, three miles away. It could be the closest track. True, true. Again, like if he has his morning coffee before he leaves and goes and runs, he may actually just have to go to the bathroom, but it comes back to planning. Like, okay, then maybe you don't run at that time or maybe you need to alter your exercise routine because it's not worth the risk. Or take, or yeah, planning, take uh, take a paint bucket with a plastic <laughs> bag. I mean, you know, like, there you like campers do. Like there's a lot, they're just... There's so many options that are available for you to, to, you know, use your executive functioning and work your way through this challenge. And none of those yeah. were used. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I want to touch on just really the most recent one um, that I think is really interesting because it u- does use a uh, defense, but it's got some elements in there that make us think that it's probably not accurate. So I actually heard about this one on the Florida Men podcast very recently. And I was like, oh, Scott and I are going to talk about this. Um, But this happened in Ashland, Massachusetts in January of this year. And there was, um, there's an outdoors goods store there called um, Natick outdoor store. And essentially the manager put up surveillance cameras to catch shoplifters. Um, But after he had done that, he noticed in like the same little corner of the parking lot that there was human excrement day after day, week after week. And he ends up looking at the surveillance footage and about nine times within three months, the same woman drives up in her Lincoln SUV, pulls into this part of the parking lot. It doesn't matter if it's raining. She did it when it was snowing. They showed the surveillance footage. (laughs) Nice weather. But basically, she opens her driver's door and then she opens the door on the driver's side, but in the back. So she puts them together like in this little triangle that's covering her and squats right down by her driver's door opening, goes to the bathroom, brings toilet paper, put, you know, wipes herself and leaves the toilet paper on top of the pile and then drives off. So they were finding these piles of poop with toilet paper sitting neatly on top. Um, Again, they get the cops involved. There's a sting operation. And eventually she was caught in the act. Um, Honestly, her mugshot is like the saddest thing I've ever seen. It's so sad. It is is so so sad. sad. She is bawling. Um, So she also claims that she has IBS and that she takes a laxative. Um, Turns out she's a nanny and she lives just up the street, like a couple of blocks away from this outdoor store. Um, And... So there, again, even though it's early in the morning, we're seeing that she has a place that she can go and use the restroom at her place of employment. So, again, it's another one that I'm just like, what is this about? And, God, she looks so sad and awful in the picture. But Okay, so let me... I don't know. I I, I love that, you know, because I want to be compassionate, and I love that we're you know, trying to be understanding about this, but there are still things that don't add up in a very interesting way. So 
you know, you can use laxatives if your form of IBS is is constipation, mm-hmm. but that's not how you use them. Like, I mean, this could be like you, if, if that, I mean, they, and they also found them in the car, like in the car with her. Um, you know, I think about like that sort of jarring few scenes from the movie, the help, which takes place in the South, um, you know, where white families would employ, black women as housekeepers and there was just such a controversy especially one character who did not want her black housekeeper using her private bathroom which is just horrifically racist and awful and sure. you know i was wondering now let's say it's a i don't we don't know if this is a high end community maybe she's going into a woman's home and she doesn't want to have like diarrhea or she doesn't, you know, like she's concerned about how she's going to present and she doesn't want to kind of blow up somebody's bathroom when she gets there. I can kind of understand that. Uh But I mean, so I'm trying to give her the benefit of a doubt, but at the same time, it's like you only live a few blocks away, adjust your, your time frame here and take care of it before you leave. Or again, like the camper, you know, put a bucket down, take it off. You know, it's it's interesting because I, you know, I hike every year up in the um, Smokies, and you know, it's you're, they really drill it into your head. It's like, no, if you're going to use the bathroom, you you take it out. You don't leave it on the trail because it's right. so toxic to the environment. Um, now, I mean, not everybody's an outdoor person, so I understand that. But still, once again, it's just like this weird. I, I would love to know what's going through her head, what the reasoning is. It doesn't feel like a, a fuck you to that parking lot or that store. Does it feel like that to you? No, it doesn't. Um, but I also like, I, I, I gave all those sort of options a thought too. You know, maybe the family she works for is terrible and, and there is some sort of like, you know, strict, image to keep up or something like that, even though we all use the restroom. So we all should be super understanding about it. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, she's, was she 51? Yes. Okay. So she's 51. She's a nanny. She drives a fairly brand new, very nice Lincoln SUV. You know, I'm just trying to put pieces together and I'm like, what? is this saying to me and i really couldn't come up with anything yeah exactly um you know i i don't know i just i don't know what it is i once they showed because i watched video and once i they showed actually the surveillance cameras they are so obvious on the building which is like she parked in the same spot where you could not get her car more centered into the surveillance footage too I don't know if she's going to be closing her doors around her to make a little fort. I don't know how she would not have been aware of the surveillance videos too. So yeah. that makes me think, was that the whole point? Yeah, it's it sounds like that sort of, once again, coming back to this idea of impulsivity mm-hmm. and really sort of, um, you know, sort of primal pushing back against inhibition. You know, uh, that it's an act, that it's a de- an act of defiance is what it feels like in some way. Um, and maybe not even in a way that she's aware, but, you know, that could be happening. True. 
True. So we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with um, our next section. Okay. Welcome back, folks. So this is part two of the Mystery Pooper episode. I never thought I'd be saying those words. Did you? <laughs> I think I think I'm going to title this Shitstorm 2020. Because right. <laughs> there's a real shitstorm happening. Right? There's a real shitstorm and we're talking a lot of shit today. Right. Exactly. So I wanted to, to take this section and talk about um, a couple of examples that are, you know, along you know, other examples that are on this spectrum of this phenomenon, which is so interesting um, and funny and weird. But um, a few years ago, when I was a law enforcement psychologist, uh, I did a training with a former a career uh, uh, law enforcement um, individual who's also former military and is also a psychologist. His name is uh, Kevin Gilmartin, and he wrote a really really well-known book called Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement, A Guide for Officers and Their Families. And, you know, his goal in writing the book was to help officers and their families in maintaining or improving their quality of life, um, both professionally and personally. It's wonderful. It's really fantastic. And I would say if you're into true crime, folks, go buy this book on Amazon. It's it's a slim volume. It's a quick read. It's also just amazing. It's like it it's so great because he breaks down the process of hypervigilance and anxiety and depression in people who are high sensation seeking individuals. And even I mean, I think everybody can benefit from reading it. Um, and even if you don't personally, then understanding this genre of which we're all a part will be, you know, a result of reading that book. So he's an amazing writer and he's an amazing presenter and he's, you know, created kind of an amazing career out of himself and law enforcement really respect him. He's got this incredible background. So he does a day long training that is sort of diving deeper into some of the chapters from his book. And he gives some really great examples, um, these anecdotes that are not uh, included in the book. And one of them stuck with me because, I mean, it's it's such a, um, a great example of another kind of motivation for engaging this kind of behavior that is a lot more understandable. And so he gives an example of a law enforcement agency somewhere in the U.S. And I I won't identify it because it's his story to tell. And, you know, who knows what will happen. I'll just kind of get the gist of it. But there's like a a relatively mid-size law enforcement agency in a mid-size town in sort of the American Southwest. So they get a new uh, captain who comes in. And the captain um, comes in from a completely different agency and is going to do things in a completely different way. And so that's always going to shake things up. I mean, you as law enforcement would would agree, right? Shiloh? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it, it is such a weird thing to have an outsider come into one of those positions like chief or captain or high ranking. Um, and a lot of times agencies go outside 
because stuff is not going well within the department. Therefore, you know, they're hoping for some change and a shakeup, but it is a tough pill to swallow for people who work there. Right. Because it could be a matter of that maybe there was some sort of either corruption or there was something not happening the way it should happen. Or it could be just like, hey, we're ready for a change and we want to move up with the times. And so that shakes up the status quo. And, you know, that is not always a bad thing. In fact, a lot of times shaking up the status quo is a good thing Mm -hmm. and sort of jostling people out of their comfort zone. So apparently there's this whole line of events where the guy is like kind of the new the new head is laying down the law and saying we're going to get back to basics we're going to get back to this and that and actually it is kind of important to know that this is in the american southwest so that you understand that the the summers are very very hot so uh, god right (laughs) a little foreshadowing there for you right well, um, so, you know, what happens is there's a, a lot of resistance to this individual, and he apparently is just this ultimate professional, and really, you know, he's like, you know, uh, he's getting a lot of pushback, but he's professional and tries to address it, but doesn't really, you know, he's unfazed by all the pushback. Mm-hmm. So most of the law enforcement members just begrudgingly sort of start pulling in line and there were but except for two individuals who i guess were probably in a relationship where they kind of egged each other on and then they were drinking buddies i think they had been uh, beat partners so they would just sort of ramp themselves up in their anger against this guy and you know who is he to tell us what to do the ultimate change in policy as strange as it sounds, is the new captain says, oh, and by the way, everybody's wearing their hats now. So that's a phenomenon that I was not aware of until I got into working with law enforcement is that although the standard issue uniform hat for law enforcement is required, there are some agencies that are not as strict as others about like every time you get out of the car, that hat goes on your head. Right. right. Usually, usually it's saved for what they say is class A uniforms, which is like if you're going to be at a promotion ceremony, if you're going to be at a funeral, if you're going to be at something very, very important, you're wearing the full uniform with the hat, with the tie and the tie bar and looking your best and your sharpest. Some agencies um, also require that you wear them um in high visibility type of jobs where it also is maybe a little bit more community service related, depending. Um, But the agency, you know, the chief or the captain can say, yeah, this is your uniform. You're wearing this every single day. Yeah. It's his call. Sure. Right. I mean, and there, I do know that like I've seen uh, in several of the agencies here in Southern California, even that some of the hats Mm -hmm. are made from, that dark mesh that so it looks like it's a solid, but it actually, uh, uh, you know, blocks sun and allows for air circulation. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, sort of new materials being used. But so these two guys were pissed off. No, you're, we're going to have to do this. So one of them gets the idea of like, well, we'll show him. We'll break in to his office and take a dump in his hat. So they work out this entire plan for breaking into the station, 
or, you know, being in the station, you know, during a shift when there's very little oversight, gaining access to this man's um, office and, you know, I guess either squatting on the floor or on his desk and, you know, relieving themselves on the hat and then leaving it right on his desk as a as a statement. And so they follow through with it. They actually do it. Of course, they did not think all of this through because they were it was clear who had done it because, you know, as they started interviewing people of like, well, if somebody was going to do this, who would do it? And they all like basically turned and pointed fingers at these two guys. Yeah, I'm um, guessing they weren't real good at keeping their mouth shut and not being the two obvious people who were talking the most shit. <laughs> absolutely. Right. Like they probably have, you know, this is something that is probably pretty indicative of their baseline characterological makeup. Yeah. So, which is sort of booting authority, which, you know, and you, you working in law enforcement, I mean, I work with the law enforcement I work with seem to me to be the cream of the crop. I work with like just amazing people. So, um, these two guys are caught and they're charged and, or they're not, I think they didn't charge them, but what they did was they discipline, they were, no, they were completely fired. Like, so they lost, you know, they were both pushing 20 years near retirement. They lost everything. So, you know, just for a stupid, like, show of bucking authority. And so here's an example of two people doing it as revenge or to feel like that they were justified in sort of uh, pissing on authority or shitting on authority, as it were. And it is. It's like this most, I mean, from, from a psych perspective, it's very primitive. What waste represents is what is used and foul leaving our bodies. And I'm going to use this as a statement to show you what I think of you. And also sort of this marking your territory piece to it, too. Like, how Absolutely. dare you come into our plate? How, how the hell do these guys go home and explain to their wives that they just lost their jobs for this? Exactly. Oh my exactly. god. Exactly. It's hard to wrap your mind around. It's really hard to wrap your mind around. And and then apparent like the the capper to the story that Gil Martin um was presenting is that like within I think 4 or 5 months of them getting fired, the guy, the captain leaves and he gets another job someplace else and takes off and it goes back to the policy that it was before of just, you know, you can wear your hat when you want to or you wear it for the big uh presentations but you don't have to put it on every time you get out of the car so if these guys had just held on another few months you know it all would have resolved itself it's very interesting to me yes so a short example of one that happened a few years ago is they were trying in uh manhattan and new york to uh adapt the movie magic mike which is uh stars channing tatum and is about uh male exotic dancers they were going to adapt it into a broadway musical and there was a a pooper going to the auditions and on three (laughs) different occasions on stage um dancers would be walking in and go with the thinking that it was dog excrement you know they but then what what's happened here? And it was all kind of kept lighthearted and funny, but likely what it was, I mean, and they never found the person who was doing this, but it was likely as a result of a grudge um, regarding not allowing non-union dancers to audition. So for those of you that are not familiar with how it works in entertainment is we have major unions that protect the rights and protect the abilities to negotiate of performers who are going into 
shows, whether it's a, a live stage uh, show or it's a touring show or a movie or a television show. You have these rules that are enforced by the union, but as a result, it's like you have to work very hard to get into the union, and you know they. It's sometimes very hard to get into the union because those jobs are protected. So this was thought of as like a protest of like I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know really crap on everybody's audition because I don't have the the chance to get in there. So there and the, yeah. the person was never identified. It could have been more than one person too, don't you think? I never thought about like a that. group of people maybe kind of I don't know. It's pretty funny though. I I love so did you so watch like some a, of the YouTube a, like videos? Like a pooping flash mob, right? Yeah, right. Oh, the, the, but of course the videos are great. You have to t- describe those. So funny. So of course, here we're talking about like incredibly talented people and what are they going to do with it? They're going to they're going to make art out of it. <laughs> so there is like some funny sort of musical parodies about what's going on. Um and then the Law and Order SPU special pooping unit spoofs <laughs> <laughs> that they do are great. I I have them. I'll I'll link them or we'll put them on our Facebook page. Um but they're really well done. They're filled with tons of double entendres and puns about flushing out the <laughs> severity of crime. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's very clever and just like such theater people fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, I've said it before, but there's nothing, there's nothing like, I mean, it's one of the things about my former career when working with dancers is there's, there's not a funnier group of people than, than dancers. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so we'll link those for sure. <laughs> yeah. So now moving on to another example that is really, you know, where we really get into a legitimate, uh, underpinning of a mental illness is um, regarding a case that occurred in Canada in 2019. And if you'll notice folks, like I'm avoiding, we're not using names like, um, right. Exactly. It's just not necessary. It's not necessary to identify these people by name um, for whatever reason, whether it is uh, acting out of anger um, or mental illness or a medical condition. If, if that's the underpinning, you know, these are just interesting cases, kind of understanding what was the motivation for why they happened, but we're avoiding that for this particular episode. But this was a 23 year old, um, Canadian, uh, college campus, um, gasser is what we call it. We're going to talk about terms in a couple of seconds. Um, but this is in 2019, there was an individual who was arrested after five incidents of dumping liquefied human excrement in a bucket uh, on women um, on a campus. And he was finally identified after they put together looking at um, all of the surveillance equipment. And people were terrified. Like the first the first time it happened to someone, it hit this individual who walked into the library and was completely in disbelief. Like they were just covered from head to toe. And that's horrific. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. Shitting in someone's yard is one thing, but do not touch me with your excrement. Well, it's also like from a health perspective, it's incredibly dangerous. It's actually really, really dangerous. And we'll talk about that in, in, in a second. Um, and you know, there's literally no information on this guy. Um, there was a radio show in Canada that was able to 
interview an individual who allegedly was a high school friend. And this guy sounded very normal. And he said, you know, I, I knew him and he was a normal laid back guy he had a great sense of humor. So it's really hard for me to understand that this is the person who's doing this, but it clearly is him because all of us that hung out together were texting each other of, Oh my gosh, look, look who's they caught doing this. Yeah. So this is an individual, um, who is, uh, was an immigrant. Um, he had no known history of mental illness, um, but it was clearly indicated in his defense by his defense attorney. Um, one thing that's very interesting that does really support, um, uh, sort of the mental health underpinnings is that, you know, it, it is such an over the top, uh, action. I mean, these were buckets. Yeah. I mean, where does, where do people get buckets of human excrement? You know, did he, you know, it's like, it was, it was planned. If you look at the image of him, he's wearing like a beanie and gloves. He's wearing some protective clothing, but in most of the pictures, while he's engaging in this behavior, he has like this massive, almost manic looking smile on his face. Like it is just, um, it's very reminiscent to me of when I've done interviews with people who were altered in their state, either um, through a bipolar mania or psychosis, and they were clearly um, experiencing what we call internal preoccupation or, or internal stimulation. So, uh, you know, I look at the picture of this guy and I'm like, he looks like someone who's hearing voices like that are directing him to do this. But, you know, clearly from a mental health perspective, someone who would engage in this sort of it might have been there was a there was a sort of a hypothesis that it might have been retaliatory that he might have been um, because all the victims were women so maybe right. he had not you know gotten the attention from women that he thought he should have gotten but then as more and more information came out he clearly indicated that you know he had fallen very far this is someone who had been successful in high school and successful in college but did not after that just fell apart. He was living in a homeless shelter and had, you know, his, his ADLs had gone down. So his grooming and hygiene were starting to look pretty bad. So definitely that classic, like college age, psychotic break probably happening here. Absolutely. We've talked about that before, you mm -hmm. know, as you know, any, any individual who has a genetic predisposition towards um, a severe mental illness on the bipolar or the psychotic spectrum, it is really, you know, their biggest enemy is stressful events. And right. especially if, if there's no huge amount of symptomology prior to that and the family doesn't know or the, the, the people, the support system doesn't really see any indication of that, then they go away to college and they mm -hmm. experience all this incredibly high level of stress that then pushes them over into a full-blown episode. And it looks like this might have been what happened. I mean, what was amazing, it was such a big deal or people showed up in his courtroom for his appearance did for the serial killer, Bruce MacArthur. So that oh, wow. thing is like, and, and people were kind of tittering about it. I'm sure the victims weren't because of course, it, you know, it, you know, five young women being targeted with human waste is, is pretty brutal. You know, otherwise the guy's sort of an enigma and, and the entire case has been sort of, it's just sort of disappeared. And with his defense attorney saying he needs to be in a hospital, he has mental health issues and, you know, prison is not, where this individual needs to go. But so those you know, 
two cases were happening in Canada at the same time? Is that yes. what you're saying? Or okay. Sort of within the same the same amount of time. Yeah. Right, right. Very but, interesting. But um, he was charged with five five counts of assault with a weapon and five counts of mischief interfering with property. You know, um, and it looks like those charges were dropped, but that they went on the down low after that. So, you know, and that seems like that's really related to you know, more of a severe mental illness. And that's something the type of, you know, people, those of us that work in incarceration settings or in mental hospitals or institutions, you know, you do see sort of the use and engagement in fecal matter than you do anywhere else in the population. And that has to do with the mental state of the individual. So, you know, did you experience that a lot working in the prisons? I did. You know, in the prisons, that's a good transition. Thank you, Dr. Shiloh. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) So in in prison, the use of throwing bodily fluids, you know, which whether it is uh, spit, urine or um, or fecal matter onto someone using that as a weapon is called gassing. Inmates, in my experience, have don't generally do that to each other unless they're trying to cause like long-term harm, but usually it's, it's a way of acting out against uh, correctional staff. Um, and there's like, there's, I mean, sorry, this is a little bit gross, but like there's even techniques for making it worse. So they would take their, the, the materials, you know, the, the bodily fluids and, and, um, feces and mix it with packets of jelly they would have gotten for meals because adding the sugar to would make it uh, harder to clean off. So So they're using the weapons that they have. Right. Right. I mean, that is, and there's like, there is a there's a historical precedent set for spit urine feces as weapons. I mean, even going back to ancient Greece and ancient Scythia, where they would you they would dip their arrows into this kind of foul mixture and um, use it as poison. I mean, that's a long acting poison because this is, of course, way before antibiotics. So you know, if you get something mm-hmm. that highly infectious in your system, you're you're screwed pretty much. And during the Vietnam War, the Viet Cong used it in the same way, making what they called punji sticks, which was bamboo or other types of wood that were sharpened into stakes, then hardened with fire, almost to a razor-type sharpness, and then coated with that mess. Be put into pits and booby traps, and pretty brutal. That's how it can be used as a weapon. So that would be for protest, you know, as an act of violence. Um, but also, you know, I've seen, I've worked on a mental health ward where, you know, a really nice guy who's completely psychotic decides he wants to paint the inside of his cell and he uses his feces and he's, you know, painting pictures like a toddler would with um, finger paints. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Not particularly <laughs> nice to try. Not not the easiest, so- <laughs> not the easiest way to do an evaluation when you're in a cell um, trying to talk to them, though. No, no. And it was just like toddler level. It wasn't like Da Vinci level. Uh- you know, Sistine Chapel. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. So what is, but now there's also an, a, a part of this that we talk about um, that kind of gets into sort of a paraphilia. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah. You know how you mentioned earlier, the sense almost of feeling like, is this exhibitionist too? Definitely. And I, again, like, I know it's my lens and how my brain works, but you have to think about like what's what's the crossover here with some other disorders and 
sometimes we think of these in terms of sexual disorders as well. And so I wanted to see what the crossover was here. When you mentioned exhibitionism, you know, I thought about some of my sex offenders that I treated, like tons of them that got arrested for exhibitionism. The excuse they would always use was I was just urinating in public. And, you know, that was something that they knew was an easy excuse have the stigma attached to it, like a sex offense. And it was kind of believable, right? I mean, you could say like, okay, if you're urinating in public because you had to go and the wrong person drives by and is offended by it and calls the cops, well, then regardless, you kind of created a victim. But my job was always, well, is the sexual arousal intent part there? Because if I get someone who is literally just peeing in public into sex offender treatment, it's not appropriate for them because they didn't have that malicious sexual intent. I can't treat them. So, um, but then when they tell me that, and then I look at their rap sheet and they have eight convictions for exhibitionism, I know they didn't get caught urinating in public eight different times. So, so yeah, I, I think that's something to consider, but aside from it, since we're on this topic anyway, I thought it would be a good time to sort of touch on coprophilia because I don't know, I don't think I want to put it into some other episode and drag this out. Yeah. (laughs) It just seemed like a good spot for it. Let's get it over with. Yeah. Let's get it over with all in one shitstorm. So, (laughs) um, Coprophilia is a paraphilia, which if you want to go back and listen to episode five, we did all about paraphilias. And just as a reminder, paraphilias are abnormal sexual interests or attractions to usually it's unusual objects, activities, or situations. Um, And it needs to be coupled with some intense distress for the person. And that's why they usually seek out treatment and then get diagnosed. So copro comes from the Greek word for excrement. So that's where you get coprophilia. And it's not to be confused with coprophagia, which is usually a neurological or a side effect of a psychotic issue where that's just essentially eating feces. Um, We're talking about more of like sexual interest here with coprophilia. Um, A lot of my information came from a great blog because I left all of my books at my office on this. (laughs) So I knew where to find stuff, but I also found Dr. Mark Griffith's blog, which I will link in the show notes. He just has a great source of information, all the right books, all the right pieces on there for looking into this. It is in the world of paraphilias still very rare um, when we're looking at anything having to do with the sexual interest or arousal to feces. And that's, there, there's been some psychologists out there and researchers who have broken it down a little bit more into what is really going on here. I look at it as this umbrella of just involving feces, no matter what the actual act or situation is. Dr. McCary in like the 60s said it was about the act of elimination. There, There's sexual arousal to actually having your bowel mo- movement um, that is key for some people. Right. And that's very, um, that's also very, you know, Freudian primal. And there's, you know, people like just on a complete, you know, 
like just basic physiology is there are nerve endings in your rectum and children, right. you know, we have a lot of, I mean, I think it's better probably today than it has certainly better than, you know, Victorian times is like where we get the idea of anal retentive, the idea that someone is so afraid of experiencing that and, and they find one area of their life where they can control. So they're, re, they're retaining the um the movements within inside themselves and sure. because we live in such a puritan society that doesn't talk about this stuff it's like there's a reason that there's nerve endings there it's so you can actually feel good when you've eliminated which then because it's good for you to eliminate and get that waste out of your body you know it, there's a biological right. reason for there's that. a reward exactly. system there sort of okay <laughs> can't believe you just called yeah. it a reward system i love that Hey, I, it's, I'm just looking at this very cognitive behaviorally right now. <laughs> but no, there there have been accounts of, you know, because this is probably the most common question I get asked around paraphilias is like, well, where does that come from? Like, how does someone get attracted to something so unusual? And it, there are paraphilias out there that we know are innate. You know, the person is just born being attracted to what it is, but there's also something real to pairing, um, pairing, you know, kind of having this reward system, but pairing behaviors and feelings to where they get entwined. Yes. And the, I read, I read an account today of, I think it was an adolescent that was diagnosed with coprophilia. And he said that he was so grossed out by the act of having to use the restroom and have bowel movements and really high anxiety about it that what he started doing when he went to the bathroom was masturbating at the same time because then he was pairing like something pleasurable and it made it more tolerable where he actually could go to the restroom and not be grossed out about it. But then now he's pairing sexual right. arousal with the smell not, of the feces. Yeah. So, no. So then he uh, has created this tie, this behavior, um, this sexual attraction that is being triggered. So, so yeah, that it's, I know it's, it's hard to listen to. It's some gross stuff today, but, um, but there is, there are reasons to this. Um, let's see. I, I also, some, some specialists or researchers will say that it's about watching somebody who is having a bowel movement it's about having that bowel movement being taken you know done onto your part of the body um playing with it masturbating with it there is all sorts of acts acts that fall underneath the umbrella of coprophilia um to get real sort of psychoanalytic um According to really the book that I turned to, which is Sexual Deviance Theory Assessment and Treatment by Dr. Judith Milner and some of her colleagues, it's from 2008. Um, but she talks about that a common psychoanalytic interpretation is that the excrement symbolically represents the penis and that the presence of fecal matter serves as a defense against castration anxiety. So, that's, I mean, to me, that's just like, we all know psychoanalytic theory is not my thing necessarily. Um, I think it's interesting 
to kind of see how you can yeah, make sense I mean, it's, of that. Like I, I, cause um, I get that they're trying to conceptualize what that's about. You know, I mean, it's, they can, like, I remember, wasn't there, there was a sex in the city episode um, where Carrie was dating this really hot, like Senator, you know, and, she was like, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't know if it was urinating or I think she, I was urinating. It was urinating. Golden it was golden okay. showers. He but there are others that like are, like you were saying that, that are coprophiliacs that like want to be, you know, for a sense of whether it's degradation or, or domination, mm-hmm. you know, certainly that can be um, mm-hmm. linked into it, but yeah, it's, it's complex. And I think that it probably takes a big conceptual umbrella to try and place it within where we can uh, look at it from a paradigm and try and figure it out because it's, it's complex, right? It's very complex. And, um, did you know that allegedly, I don't know if we have to say allegedly because he's dead and honestly, who gives a shit, but Adolf Hitler was an infamous coprophiliac. That's all over the web. Um, there's a lot of that and who knows if that's true or not, but there it is it is very well known that he was um uh was a, a absolutely addicted to meth and you know meth will mess with your if you have any underlying sexual paraphilias uh crystal methamphetamine oh, yeah. will ex- enhance them to an exponential and harmful degree yeah yeah they have they have writing you know of course these are other people's writings um by his ex-lover who alluded to it. And then in Greg Hallett's book called Hitler was a British agent, there's an entire chapter devoted to Hitler's sexuality. Um, and they talk about him being sodomized and sexually abused, um, early in life, but that he was a sadomasochist, um, into coprophilia, homosexuality. Um, he liked to be verbally abused, slapped around, have his head urinated on, have his chest shat on. I love that um, term. Shut upon. <laughs> Shut upon. And um, yeah, there's, there's, um, I just thought yeah, that was we super have to, interesting. Yeah, we have to but... all, you know, hold that with a grain of salt because, you know, who, you know, obviously he was sure. a, a horrific, horrific excuse waste of protoplasm for an individual for a human being who at this point who can separate conjecture from fact right and also i want to i don't know take a step back and saying you know if if this doesn't cause whatever you're doing sexually if it's not causing you distress if everyone is safe and you know not being harmed by it i don't care what you're into <laughs> this is not a a judgment on anyone because it Honestly, it, it wouldn't even be diagnosable if it's not causing the person distress. Many, many people can go out there and engage in S&M and, you know, tons of things to be diagnosed, air quotes, um, as paraphilias or disorders. And it doesn't fit the criteria because they're fine with it and it's not causing any problems in their lives. So just my little like. No, I mean, you know, that's. I guess my reply to it would be my, my only concern is that there's always the necessity of being careful in an act like that has to be even higher. You know, like there's, wow, I really did not think that we were going to go graphic, but let me, <laughs> let me just say this. I guess my concern here is that the, the possi- possibility for infection in scat play would be pretty high um, just because of the amount Absolutely. of microbes and parasites that human waste has. So, you know, you have to be very, very careful about that. But I agree. Like, once yeah. again, that's the definition of paraphilia is that if it's not impairing uh, or causing distress to the individual and it's not causing harm to anyone else, then 
right? Sure. Yes, exactly. Um, there were uh, there are a few studies that look at it in term like they looked at populations of other people with other paraphilias and then asked basically had they ever been involved in this. So there there was a small percentage of people involved in S and M, and then they looked at a small sample of zoophiliacs who admitted that, yeah, they had participated in some sort of coprophilia at some point. Um, And if you remember with paraphilias, usually they travel in threes. If you know about one that somebody has, they're usually going to fit the diagnosis or criteria for at least two others. So that doesn't surprise me um, that maybe there's not enough people to do a study on with that population per se, but looking at other populations, your people are like, Oh yeah, I've tried that. At some point. So yeah. Um, but just with treatment, you know, we kind of talked about causes like conditioning of behavior, um, or being innate in someone treatment wise, again, if it's not causing distress, the person isn't usually going to seek treatment. Um, but if they do, usually cognitive behavioral therapy for sort of reshaping thoughts and behaviors and finding alternative behaviors that are less distressful, but still, um, you know, finding a way in which they can have a fulfilling sexual life um, is important, as well as going back to what you were saying about health concerns, making a safety plan. I mean, I've I've made safety plans with people with all sorts of different paraphilias where it's like, oh, you could really cause some damage doing that. Or you need to think about your health and well-being in how you are getting off. And um, so that's always really important to do with, you know, in in all seriousness, like as clinicians, you know, holding that space for individuals who want to address this and them having to have a safe space to come and talk about it is just so valuable. Absolutely. So there was, yeah, no, I was just going to say, you can just see it in their face when it's like, you're finally having that discussion that they've probably never told anyone about. And it just, it's not phasing you (laughs) and you can just sit there and you know, be with yeah, them. Yeah, you're you're right there. You're being present in 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 a really you know probably one, maybe one of the first times they've been able to share it with anyone. Yeah. So yeah. in wrapping up, I wanted to tell a couple of stories, um, and I don't want anybody to come away from this thinking that I have like a, a preoccupation with um, this particular subject. <laughs> but a um, couple of things. Uh, the one thing I wanted to note is about, you know, using as a weapon. And this is very interesting that in, in many cases of Munchausen syndrome by proxy, uh, when mothers are inducing illness in their children, one of the most common ways is using fecal matter in the pick line. You know, if, if they've gotten their children... Aww. Um, into the hospital, you know, for these mystery infections is that, you know, they've been caught on camera, they've been found, you know, discovered by nurses to be taking, you know, minute amounts of um, feces and putting putting them into the IV lines, which is just, you know, brutal because it's infecting the child even further. So again, you know, certainly a mental health connection, using it as a weapon, using it as a tool to keep the um, subject sick which is just very sad. Yeah. So on a lighter note, we had um, in, in the L.A. County Zoo for many years, we had a very famous uh, gorilla, 
years ago. His name was Caesar, and he was a silverback gorilla, and he had like a really amazing personality because it very very labile personality. Like sometimes he was really, you know, super friendly and fun and playful. And sometimes he was just not having it with the people at the zoo at all. And he was really famous for, for um, (laughs) throwing his feces at people across the divider at the zoo. And do you think it was a protest? Yeah. He was like protesting people gawking at him. But the funny thing about (laughs) Caesar is that he would be really sly about it. So he would, like people got on to like finally like okay this is what he does is he acts very nonchalant and then he reaches around and he slowly picks up a piece and then he runs at you and flings it really fast and then runs away. So it's like yeah, yeah I love mm-hmm. that. just hanging out, hanging out, and then that little hand would creep back and and grab some. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> but my favorite shit story is I have a an author that I really really, really admire David Sedaris, um, brother of uh, Amy Sedaris, the actress and and performance artist. David is a prolific writer and has been for decades. And he started out in a genre of writing that I would call sort of absurdist magical realism. Um, And very creative, very funny, and has had his own very interesting uh, journey through life from a big Greek-American family. But I went to a book signing at Romans in Pasadena years ago, and he did a reading, and then he was telling—he opened up his reading by talking about that he had his luggage was lost, so he, before coming to the reading, he had to walk across the street to Target in order to buy a shirt. And he got into a conversation with one of the salespeople, and the young woman said, oh, yeah, we have a problem with people shitting in the aisles all the time. And and he said, like, oh my no, God. That well, no, he probably <laughs> prompted it, I'm sure, because he always does like to ask weird questions. Like, he has really great essays about, like, you know, when he travels around the world, asking cab drivers what their Christmas traditions are, because they're so wildly different around the world. So I'm sure he brought this up, but he was really astounded by, like, you know, the amount of, but, you know, living in in Southern California with a po- homeless population, we're we're kind of used to it, right? I mean, we... We know this is, unfortunately, that's just yep. something that's going to happen. I right. step over it so, every day. Um, I get up to um, have him sign my book, and he's taking time to talk to everybody. It's so great. And I said, hey, when I first moved here, I worked at the Tommy Hilfiger store in uh, on Rodeo in Beverly Hills. And we had this woman come in, this very rich woman who um, had a bunch of shopping bags. And she's like, hey, I got to use the bathroom. I got to use the bathroom. And our manager was like, well, man, we don't have a public restroom. We can't, we can't let you because we don't have the insurance for it. And the woman's face changed and said, oh, okay, no problem. No problem. Well, let me do some shopping. So she goes around and she picks out some, and this was like, you know, the early nineties when, and late eighties when there were like tons of pastels and sort of, uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Thin stripes, stripes, sort of like summery materials. Yeah. So she picks out like a, a whole six shirts and slacks and skirts and all this stuff, probably several thousand dollars worth of clothes. And she takes it into the dressing room. And then she comes out a little bit later. She's like, thanks so much. Not going to buy anything today, but thank you. So we go back and she's left. She's piled all the clothes in the middle floor and left a huge steaming turd on top of all the clothes. It was just shocking. And it was so gross. And like we were all arguing about who was going to clean it up. 
And I was telling, I was telling David Sedaris this story and his eyes were just like wide. He's like, no, it didn't happen. What did she look like? Are you sure she was rich? What was she wearing? I was like, well, she like, was really like, you know, and she was like wearing really nice clothes and he was so nice. He goes, God, it's just amazing to me. She must've been so angry. So he signs the book and I get home and I open it up and he dedicated the book to Scott. Thanks for the shit story. All my love, Daris. I mean, like, oh, I, I will never, I will never give awesome. that book away. It's one of my favorite possessions. Oh, I'm gonna have no, to, that's we'll have to tweet at him to that. listen to this episode. So he remembers me. Yes, for sure. Oh my gosh. Well, it, you know, through doing the research and reading all of this, I thought, you know, I think majority of the time, it's very much a vandalism crime to me. Well, like it just fits in yeah. that box. And it, you know, it's either about anger or envy or the ultimate fuck you. And if you don't have a spray paint yeah. can on you, what do you have? <laughs> or, you know, what is going to be the grossest or really piss people off? And, um, I thought it was really interesting. I think you had sent me an article where there was a forensic psychologist in um, Birmingham City University who said he gets asked by cops about this a lot. And especially like a burglar will break into a house and defecate. And they'll be like, do you think, why are they doing this? And he always asks them, it was oh, soft right. and hard. Yeah. And, and they're like, what? And he goes, well, if it's soft, it might be nervousness. It might be like a teenage vandal that broke in and just like had to go. Um, or if it's hard, it's somebody with a mission. They have a message to send. They're definitely like shitting right on the bed so you don't miss it. And I thought that was that's so such a great, interesting. That's such a great observation because it's so true, you know, especially t- tying it back to the medical issues of IBS, which tends to be more sort of non-solid elimination and so related to right. anxiety. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting. Boy, who, who yes. knew we'd be talking about that? Yeah. <laughs> who knew I know I read that article and I'm like, who knew a forensic psychologist would be stating that in an interview, but <laughs> the the places exactly. our jobs take us are kind of crazy. <laughs> All right. Um gosh, I hope we didn't gross you guys out too much. Um let's see. I think that's we don't really obviously have anything coming up. Everything got postponed. Scott and I are just working and um we'll be trying to figure out what we're doing for our next episode. Yeah, we and we're to gonna continue practicing new. our social distancing. Um, you know, I always love looking at the inspiring and lovely Dr. Shiloh's face while we record, but unfortunately we're we're not able to do that. And we hope everybody else is practicing safe distance and please be careful, folks. We want everybody to stay healthy and whole, and we want your loved ones to stay healthy and whole. So take care of yourself and take care of each other and be kind. And we'll see you next time on LA. Not so. Confidential. Bye-bye. We'll see you next time.